Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello guys, you're so welcome to Changes Revisited. Uh, It's Annie here. I have just had my first mince pie. That feels like a momentous occasion. Um, Christmas is definitely here. And rather than breaking changes over the Christmas period and bringing you nothing, we thought we would bring you some episodes of Revisited, which is just like our chance to go back and remember some of the really golden moments of changes in the past. So this week, we are revisiting two conversations, one with Pruleith and one with Nick Grimshaw, two people who discussed changing as we get older, which, as we call time on another year, seems very apt. At the time I spoke with Nick Grimshaw, or Grimmy as I call him, we had both just left Radio 1 and we talked about so much in terms of change, taking risks, embracing new stages in our lives, pursuing new adventures as you age, elements of change which I've no doubt many of you can relate to. It's very interesting to revisit this chat a year on and think about how things have changed since for Nick and I. Nick has brought out his book, a kind of memoir called Soft Lad, which has been hugely successful. So he's realised that he has a natural gift in writing. He also has a podcast called Dish with uh, the Michelin star chef Angela Hartnett. But back then he was in the transition, right in the kind of nucleus of change. And the specifics of what he would do were unknown. He hadn't announced anything new. He was fresh out of Radio 1. So we start this revisited episode right there. The change is scary because being at the radio every day, it's like comforting to know like I'm in work next week or the week after. Mm. But I think doing a massive change like that is what's got me to where I wanted to be. Like when I was at uni, I prioritized going to work at like a a promotions company, music promotions promotions company over my uni work because I was like, I don't want to do business studies. I want to work at Radio One. Mm. So I'd rather spend my time working in music Mm. and then when I was doing that I was like well no one's going to come and knock on my door in Manchester so now I need to go to London so I left that job to Mm. go to London and then when I was in London working as an intern at MTV when that ended it was like I couldn't go back home and live with my mum and dad or I can take a risk Mm. and hand out some flyers dressed as a chili (laughs) And just try and stay in London. Everything's a step in the right direction. You know what I mean? You had to take those risks, like sacking uni off because I wanted to get into music, leaving Manchester. But every decision, each one of those decisions is easy to make because you know it's either serving or not serving the end game. Mm -hmm. And the end game is what you want, which was Radio One Breakfast. So now you have to come up with a new end game. Yeah. And you're a completely different person. Yeah. And it feels like. Are you a different person? Do you feel like a different person? To like to the you in your twenties. I don't know because I feel like I knew what I wanted then, mm. and I feel like I know what I want now. And what do you want? I want to do multiple things that are going to take the time, hopefully not as long as it mm. did to get from 
working in music to doing the radio and breakfast show and that might be telly things or audio things or interior things you know like one of the things I always wanted to do when I was a kid was either build sets or stages or like do interior design so when I came to London first before I did any telly or radio I worked in the creative department at MTV and I was the assistant there and that was assisting designing the sets and logos and graphics and stuff and then I thought that was going to be my job I thought I'd work in doing like stage design or set Mm. design or something like that or even like shop design like I was really interested in like how people shop and you know what what your or even what your house is like and then I got distracted in a great way by the telly and the radio for 14 years so now I'm thinking about could I re-explore that again you know Mm. like could I go and investigate that other passion that I had as a kid and I I did like some work experience with um a set designer when I was doing breakfast actually like I I'd, I'd yeah. finish on a Friday and I'd go and um intern and yeah work with a stage designer and doing different stuff yeah. in different fields where you're learning and you're challenged made me more interested in doing radio and made me better at it because Mm. your brain something different's unlocked in it Mm. so I think now is the time to enrich myself in all those different areas and find out like do I want to do a different type of radio show or do I want to do a tv show like something I've never done before Mm. or do I want to like start doing some design stuff I think having that time to enrich myself Mm. I've not had since pre-working at Radio 1. Yeah. And also it's interesting that you're kind of in a very loose way coming full circle back to where you were as a kid as well. Mm. Like that's what I've done. Climbing trees. (laughs) (laughs) Dressing up as an Egyptian pharaoh. (laughs) All the stuff I used to do as a kid. No, but like the design stuff, like Mm -hmm. is what I'm talking about there, like the interiors. Yeah. Because that's, that's what I've done with writing. I always wrote as a kid. I always wanted to be a writer. And then I got into something else. And it's funny how you can get into a career and the music stuff was always a dream. The radio was a dream. But then other things started happening beyond that, like the conferences and the, all, you know, the curation and all of that. And you realize that you're in this kind of path and there's other things that you want to fulfill. And the, it's too busy on your path. And it's like you have to pull back and that can be a really scary thing and a difficult thing Mm -hmm. because you're enmeshed in all these other professional relationships and uh, there's teams of people and, you know, you have your own business. There's a big ecosystem around that. I found that bit really hard, actually putting myself first and being like, okay, what do I want to do? And it all came back to when I was a kid. It all came back to like, I just want to write. I want to write stories. I want to tell stories. Love telling stories. Oh, you do love telling yeah. stories. You're very good at telling very stories. Very simple though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think it feels like... I don't know. It feels like a weird time of change because we've not... Both of us has not had that space in your head mm. to actually think, oh, what do I want to do? Or where am I going next? And I think it's a nice worry to have. It's, it's very indulgent. It's very indulgent. To have. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was conscious of that, talking about it in public as well. It'd be like, guys, you just got to do what you want. Obviously, that's, <laughs> yeah, not, that's right. not very easy for yeah, the, a lot of you, people. Yeah. Um, can we talk about identity as well? Because yeah. this is something I've been going through. And I'm interested in your opinion on this. Like Radio 1, when you're there, right, Radio 1 has this kind of 
aura from the outside of being a cool place to work mm-hmm. right so i was always told oh you're cool yeah or someone would come up and be like oh my god you're so cool can i have my friend you're like really <laughs> am i no. like so it's kind of and that's all because of the associations with yeah. radio one right and you don't even overthink that i never overthought mm-hmm. it i've only ever thought about it now because i'm not there and suddenly i'm like who am I? <laughs> Wait. I am a mother of two. I'm really into gardening and running and yeah, I'm really into music, but I'm also into like other stuff that's like, I don't know. I just, don't, I don't feel remotely mm-hmm. cutting edge. Yeah, but edge. I think that... Uh, anything, anything like culturally like relevant, any of that, yeah. I feel like I'm, do, I, I'm not struggling, but I'm just like, who the fuck am I? Like, I think I'm having a midlife crisis. I think that's what... I think that's <laughs> Not what, why you're here. Yeah. Is this even a Babe, podcast? who am I? I, as well, I think, though, the concept of cool... It's ridiculous. ...has changed as well so yeah, much now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you, liking gardening, that is cool. Because I, I, when I was younger, I don't know if this is a young thing or a, or a time-changing thing, but I definitely think when I started or when we were starting at Radio 1, like being cool was like a leather jacket and smoking getting wasted yeah whereas now like cool is like oh they like know themselves they're like cool with themselves yeah yeah yeah. so i don't know if that's with maturity that we've realized that or if that's a wider acceptance of what is cool i think it's cool when someone's just like themselves and they know themselves i think that's cool but yeah there is definitely a thing that people who think and you know like you say it's the association with radio one that if you work there you're like cool not really there's also something to talk about with the idea of going old because Radio 1 would never ever enforce this on you and I don't want people to think that it did but there's a kind of Peter Pan-esque element of being there where it's a youth platform so you don't want to talk about the facts too much you cleaned out your drawer that you're 42 in my case and I you know and that was all coming from me you know I I was never made to feel like that at Radio 1 but it came more from me like oh god better not talk about you know I really like primal scream the stone roses (laughs) and you know bird feeders or whatever so it's kind of like this idea of radio one keeping you in this place of youth and now that you're not there anymore it's like well i can be my real age Mm -hmm. i can i can really express my 43 year oldness yeah what what is that what does it mean yeah it's definitely interesting and it i think it just feels so exciting to explore who you are at this age as well because radio one obviously is a youth network and I feel like everything I've done has been heavily youth focused. Right. So like T4 was like, it's young. And then Radio 1, it was like, you're taking over the breakfast show to make it young. Be young. Yeah. And then when I did like X Factor, it was like, we're shaking up the panel. Everyone's young. So oh, I'm 37. So it's not like I'm like <laughs> 90 years old, but also my interests to what they were at 23 are really different. Mm. So yeah, it, it, I just want to start investigating areas of work that allow me to be yeah, 37. Like someone who's well into cushions. Yeah. You know? And that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. I love a cushion. Love a cushion. Yeah. I guess so, yeah, that's it, that... isn't it? It's like accepting that you change and your motivations change mm-hmm. and your... And your interest and your, your cares and like, you, you don't like sometimes someone will be getting really gassed over a particular video or something. Yeah. And you don't sound like an old person, but you've literally seen it before. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's I've... one of the reasons why I, I, I felt like, like I had to go. Because it was like, I was getting so often to the point where I was like, 
does no one else see that this does is no a one complete this Janet Jackson reference? <laughs> yeah, like it's like, ha, ha, like how does no one else see this? And it's like, oh my god, I am that person. But that's cool. That's time oh, to god. say time to bye bye. It's like that's fine. So I think it's like us being cool with that. Um, growth let's not say age let's say growth it's it's the wisdom and the experience that comes with growth yeah growth that is what we are all about on changes what we see in every single episode may we all keep growing uh, shout out to grim i know for sure i've definitely kind of embraced and it's been lovely to have the chance to embrace growing older and and really kind of enjoy it uh, over the last few years and I know Grim has too, so maybe I'll do another one with, with Grim in, in another year or so and we'll check in and see how we feel as we're a bit older still. Patrick Cox was on Changes recently. He, of the Wallaby shoe designer of the 90s, turned toad facilitator in his late 50s. Toad is like a psychedelic. Um, and he also mentioned how there isn't an age limit on change. You do not need to do everything when you are young. It's never too late to make friends, to start new hobbies, to go traveling, to have adventures, to learn, 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 learn. Um, so I like that. I like that ethos. A fantastic example of that ethos is the legend that is Prue Leith. Now, most people know Prue from doing Bake Off. She is, of course, alongside Paul Hollywood, one of the two kind of judges. But she has also written seven novels, 12 cookbooks, been a restaurant owner, a food columnist for four different national newspapers, and has been prolific on television. She has 13 honorary degrees or fellowships from UK unis. Her CV is endless and her life has been incredibly rich and varied. She's also South African, so has lived through a lot of political change. We jump in at the point where I asked her about her relationship with change and we're straight into one of the most golden nuggets of advice that I've ever had from anyone on changes and something that I really want to try and live by. Listen to her theory on how we should change our lives. Prulith. Do you know what I actually think? And this sounds rather smug because I've been able to do this and obviously not everybody is. But I think the best thing is to change, your, have a revolution in your life every 20 or 25 years and do something completely different. I've never understood why you're supposed to do the same thing all your life. Why would you? If you can change and if you can be interested in more than one thing, I think it does make your life more fun and you meet more different people. And I've had, in a way... I mean, I spent the first 25 years of my life in the cooking trade, restaurants, I opened a cookery school, I wrote a lot of cookbooks, and I just was absolutely obsessed with food. And then I decided, you know what, I really want to write novels. So then for the next 25 years, I wrote novels, and then an autobiography, and did a lot more journalism. And then I started to, because I had had a very successful business, I was invited to sit on a lot of boards as a non-executive director. And so I got a real insight into big business. And, you know, I, I was on the Safeway and the, and the Halifax and the Whitbread and Woolworths, lots of, lots of boards. And, and that was fascinating, not always satisfactory, but always very, very interesting. And then I thought, right, that's enough of that. I'll, um, and so I, I had done a little bit of television in my early days, and not really liked it. But then I started again and, and, and I went on to the Great British Menu 
as a judge, and that led to this one, Great British Bake Off. Unfortunately, I don't have another 25 years to do something completely different. If I did have another 25 years to live, then I'd like to campaign for the things I care about, which I do anyway, but I'm not going to see them fulfilled because I won't be here, such as I'm, I'm very keen on, I, I don't know if you know the charity Dignity and Dying, which is all about trying to make sure people have a, a, as good a death as they can. And most of us don't have a good death because um, we're not allowed to have any help to see us off. And I think we ought to be able to choose the time of our dying. And um, what we're asking for is that people who are um, about to die, you know, they've been diagnosed, you know, they've, they've got less than six months to live. If they want to um, die, they can ask a doctor to help them, you know. I think it would be really good. And my brother had a horrible death. My my husband had a horrible death. So I want to, um, you know, I just think it. I I I I feel very strongly whose whose life is it anyway? Mm. Yeah, it feels wrong that someone else is making a decision for the person in question when it's it's their life. Uh, that was one of the things I really wanted to ask you about today. Actually, was death and you know the idea of how taboo it is in general for people to talk about it, for people to talk about how they would like to die, isn't it? I mean, we yeah. don't talk about it. Nobody talks about death because nobody wants to think about it. And I'm the same. You know, I I mean, I think if we had any sense, we we would be thinking about. Um, we don't want to have the last few weeks and months of a horrible death. But at the moment, um, you know, it's illegal to, you know, stack up enough morphine to kill yourself. You can actually legally commit suicide, but you can't legally ask somebody to help you to do it. Which means if you're in hospital and you're really weak and you're in no position to commit suicide, but you're having a horrible time and you're in constant pain, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't allow a dog to suffer that kind of agony. Mm. We would put them out of their misery. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I want to ask you now about your childhood change. 
the kind of biggest impact change that happened to you when you were a child or a teenager? I was brought up in South Africa, you know, really privileged white South African. Lovely family, very, you know, we just had a lovely childhood. And then when I was six, we came to England, which was just after the war. And I remember being amazed. at I mean, it was a huge change. It was freezing cold. We arrived in the winter in February. And I couldn't believe how cold it was. And I couldn't believe how, you know, I mean, rationing was really, really tough in 1946. It was actually worse after the war than it was during the war. And um, I remember going to the grocers and my we we had, there were five of us in the family, my two brothers and me and my parents, and we were allowed one egg a week each. So there were five eggs in a, in a paper bag. And we came home with these five eggs. And my brother was carrying them very carefully because that was, you know, it was a real treat. We would have boiled eggs on, you know, one night a week. And um, he was carrying these eggs. And one of the eggs must have been cracked because it sogged up the bottom of the packet and all the eggs fell out onto the um, tiled floor just outside our house and um, we all just stood there all five of us absolutely horrified as if this was a major tragedy and I remember also walking down um, Edgware Road with my sweet ration my my we never had sweets as, as children before. So one of the good things about coming to England is because there was a ration for sweets, my mother would buy them, not wanting to waste her ration coupons. But we'd never had sweets before, or not or very, very seldom. So we're walking down Edgware Road with a packet of toffees, you know, I don't know, about a quarter of a pound of toffees or something. And we passed these German prisoners of war who were digging the <clears throat> trenches along Edgware Road. I don't know what it was, the trenches were about, but anyhow, the German prisoner of war were in the, in the ditch working. And my mother said, um, offer the poor prisoners a um, one of your sweets, you see. So I've held out my bag of sweets to this um, chap, and he took the whole bag. <gasps> no. And I remember being absolutely horrified. And I said, you know, I was six so I set up a whale, and my mother was absolutely furious with me. She said, just think how terrible it is. They're away from home. They're all by themselves. They've been, they're in prison. They Just think about some other people for a change. You can do without the sweets. You know? <laughs> so she, she wasn't at all comforting. She gave me hell. <laughs> well, I was going to ask about your mum and, and dad. So they, they were quite liberal people, were they? They were very liberal. I mean, South Africa was full, was, had apartheid at the time. So, I mean, it was extraordinary. And, of course, I, I didn't find it extraordinary because I'd been brought up with it. So it didn't see, I mean, it seems to me shocking now that I, that I wasn't horrified that our nanny had to sit at the back of the bus when we were in the bus. White people sat in the front of the bus and the nanny had to sit in the back of the bus. If we sat on a park bench, she wasn't allowed to sit on it because the bench would be for, um, you know, white people only. And if I walked down the, you know, when I was a teenager, I'd walk down the street with a whole lot of giggling girls and some venerable old man, black man, would get off the pavement and walk in the gutter to let us ridiculous girls pass. And it, it never occurred to me that this was absolutely monstrous. In spite of the fact that my mother had campaigned against, she was an actress, and she campaigned against 
apartheid all the time because she wanted black actors to be allowed to um, perform on the stage with white. I mean, she wanted to have a black actor play Othello, for example. She had a Shakespearean company and she wanted black audiences to be allowed to come in at the same time as white audiences and, and so on. And she came to England to persuade the writers' union to allow their play not to boycott South Africa when about their plays because she believed that you shouldn't burn the books, that, that if you had a good play about human rights and so on, it would make more impression than than burning the books, you know, not let, not, not allowing people to see the plays. So she was a real campaigner. But it, it still shocked me that um, I was so... When I got to France and I realised what a really liberal country is um, in the matter of race, I mean... We were in, I was in, at the Sorbonne at university, and so we would be on the left bank. And, and I, I remember the first time I sat in at a cafe table on the left bank, and a couple of Algerian lads came and sat down next to me. And I'd never sat and talked to a black person as an equal and as a, a friend or, a, you know, uh, at first I didn't know what to say, you know, and then of course, very quickly realized they were just like everybody else and interesting and a couple of Moroccan guys became great friends and th that was amazing. I mean, we'd had, I'd had very good relations with our, the only, with only black people I knew, but they were all servants. You know, they were our cook or our butler or our, mm. yeah, something like that. Mm. I heard you talk, tell this story about when you went to France and you discovered cooking and then you came back to your cook um, in your childhood home and kind of went to go and, and show him all the things that you'd learned. Can you, can you tell us that? Well, we had this wonderful cook called Charlie. And it's true that I could have learned to cook at his apron strings if it had occurred to any of my family that I would be, be a cook. But I didn't know I'd be a cook. I mean, my mother was an actress, so I went to university to be an actress, you know, and then I changed my mind and did a hundred different other things. But Cooking was not one of the things that it occurred to me. I just liked food. And food, good food just arrived on the table because Charlie was a terrific cook. And when I came back from France and I realised that cooking was, you know, a real skill and it was fun to do and I'd, I'd learnt a little bit about cooking from the because I was au pair with a French family. And I came back and I wanted to, I wanted to make a seafood pancake so I got all the, you know, I got, got all the ingredients and I set about trying to do it. And I made, and the thing was, the seafood pancake had to have a hollandaise sauce on the top. And I hadn't realised how difficult it is to make hollandaise sauce and I curdled a lot. And Charlie, he could help me, but he just cleared up after me and, you know, did the washing up and, and so on. And then I suddenly watched him and I, he was helping me chop chop the herbs or something. And I suddenly realised he was chopping like a like I'd seen people do in Paris. And I realised he could do it. And then I asked him about the hollandaise and he told me how to rescue it, which actually meant taking another couple of eggs and then adding the curdle mixture to it. But he, he actually rescued it. And I, I thought, you know, I could have learned to cook at home. It just goes to show that sometimes change or the possibility for changing 
is right in front of your eyes. Thank you so much to Pruleith um, for being an absolute legend and so generous and so smart and just so inspiring when it comes to growing older and living the most kind of fulfilling and interesting life. So those were just snippets of the conversations. The full episodes are, of course, available and you can go and get them wherever you listen to your podcast, Nick Grimshaw and Prue Leith. Do subscribe to the series. We have some guests with some serious wisdom behind them too coming up in the new year. We're going to be back next week on Boxing Day with another episode of Changes Revisited to provide you with some escapism from whatever it is you do on Boxing Day. Maybe you need to escape the family. We will be here for you. See you then and happy Christmas! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.